1: Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
0: We want to get people back to work. We've
3: got to be... Hating the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg,
1: sound on. Politics, policy, and perspective from DC's top names.
0: If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today.
4: Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our
1: infrastructure. Bloomberg, sound on with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's Christmas Eve for political junkies. Thanks for joining us on this off-off election day, on the fastest hour in politics, as we gather some of the smartest minds to make sense of the races that count today. Starting with the bellwether of Virginia and a governor's race there too close to call going into this election night, we'll consider the outcomes and tell you what to watch with pollster David Paleologos, head of the Suffolk University Political Research Center will help us drill down on the other races that matter as well, from New Jersey to New York City to Boston, where history will be made tonight no matter who wins the mayor's race. We'll get into that more later with political analyst John Keller. The original panel is in place. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. And welcome officially to Election Day.
3: It's time to vote. It's time to what? The be- That's it,
1: with the help of Lizzo. I hope you did get out to vote. Maybe you're on your way now. But we live for days like this, election days here at Sound On, because it's true, elections do count. They drive the policies that impact your life, and after all, this is the fun part. So let's get into it, beginning with Virginia this hour. President Biden still overseas, as you heard a short time ago on Bloomberg Radio at the U.N. Climate Summit, which they're now wrapping up. He just predicted a win for Democrat Terry McAuliffe. We're gonna
4: win. I think we're gonna win in Virginia. And you know, you're reporting it being close. The race is very close. It's about who shows up, who turns out. And granted, I did win by a large margin, but the point of the matter is that I think that this is, this is gonna be what we all knew from the beginning. This is gonna be a tight race.
1: Yeah, Well, that's true. He did win by 10 percentage points. Not that you should be surprised by his prediction after Terry McAuliffe and Republican Glenn Youngkin delivered their closing arguments here last night. Glenn Youngkin is closing his event with Donald Trump
4: here in Virginia, where he brought the hatred, the divisiveness that Donald Trump brought to this country, and it is a disgrace. A defining moment where we get to stand up and say no to this left liberal progressive agenda that's trying to take us over.
1: There it is, the two candidates in the Washington suburbs of northern Virginia where strong turnout today could decide this election and for a better sense of where things stand and what we should be watching. We are now joined as promised by David Paleologos, director of the Suffolk university political research center. It's great to have you, David. It wouldn't be election day without you. And I, I know you had this race essentially <laughs> tied a week ago. What is your data show going into this election night?
4: Like? Yeah. So in our poll, we had a difference of 0.4% uh, with, uh Uh, Democrat Terry McAuliffe slightly ahead, well within the margin of error, 5% undecided. That tends to break against an incumbent, and McAuliffe is a de facto incumbent. And the third candidate who's on the ballot, Princess Blanding, getting a little bit under 2%. So uh, if you look at most of the polling, it's anywhere between a McAuliffe lead of 3% to a Youngkin lead of 8%. But most of the polling has it plus or minus that 3% one way or the other.
1: Yeah. The trend has certainly been in Youngkin's favor, right? What were you looking at a couple of months ago as we've been watching Terry McAuliffe's numbers kind of sink along with Joe Biden's numbers?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of months ago, as you say, the lead was 10, 15 points for McAuliffe, basically on name recognition and familiarity Uh uh, where Youngkin hadn't adequately introduced himself uh, but the offsetting factor too is the early votes. Now the early votes started September and has been ongoing for quite some time. When the McAuliffe lead was in the high single digits, so you got to sort of bake into that uh, the, the equation a little bit. We've got 1.1, 1.2 million people who have voted early. Yes, um, McAuliffe is probably coming into tonight with a couple hundred thousand vote lead on the early votes, maybe 180 to 200,000. And certainly Youngkin is, has a significant advantage on election day. He's going to win by a considerable amount on election day. But if McAuliffe keeps the the Youngkin win in, in terms of the in-person voting today under 200,000, then you're going to have a real long night.
1: Huh. How do you factor that lead uh, among the, the early voting uh, and mail-in ballots since Virginia doesn't register by party?
4: Yeah, so we looked at some of the counties that have voted and uh, above the 20 per, 20% of people have voted early, so uh-huh. some of the counties that have voted higher than that, Fairfax, 40% have voted early, Loudoun, and other counties, higher percentages. And so it's it's tending to, and this is common for Democratic candidates anyway, The question that there's two factors, really, that go into tonight. Number one is what percentage of the vote tonight uh, will be African-American voters? Mm -hmm. If that percentage is 20 percent or higher, McAuliffe will win. If the African American support has dropped off, and there's some polling that indicates that it has dropped off from uh, statistical norms, let's say it's in the 16 to 18% range of the actual total votes cast, then Youngkin will win. Hmm. That's factor number one, black voters. Factor number two is Blanding voters, that third party liberation candidate. If this is a one point race, I'm not saying it will be one of the one or the other candidates could win by three. Mm -hmm. But if this is a one point race or less, that third party's presence on the Virginia ballot is going to factor into this outcome.
1: Wow. And therefore, turnout uh, is is just so important here. I want to mention, by the way, David, there was a a sound cut we played there of the two candidates going into this. And Terry McAuliffe, I should have noted, he's been trying to hang Donald Trump around the neck of. Glenn Youngkin through this whole race. Of course, Youngkin accepted Trump's uh, endorsement, but Donald Trump was not with Youngkin last night and he was not here in Virginia. They held a teller rally, as they called it, because we love all things analog. Uh, and Youngkin was holding his own rally uh, down the road from uh, where Terry McAuliffe was. But I just wondered to what extent, David, you've seen the Trump factor play into this race as a pollster. Yes.
4: Yeah, so, you know, the A couple of thoughts about this. Number one, voters don't like when candidates or campaigns could try to connect the dots for you, for Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. They don't like it. The way McAuliffe has been doing. Exactly. Trump is not visible in Virginia. You can't put your hands around the throat of somebody who's not in the room. Uh Trump is not in the room. He hasn't been in Virginia. He never was. Um, you know, the tele the tele endorsement that he did last night was audio. Yes. He you know, so he had none of that, none of that. So that could be a turnoff to some independent voters who don't make the connection, whereas the connection of some of the discussion about schools and parental involvement or lack thereof in terms of the curriculum of schools the economy in virginia the grocery tax some of the other local issues that we polled mm-hmm. you know have a little bit more teeth in terms of what voters are thinking about and less so about trump it may impact some it may motivate some progressives or some african-american voters to get out uh because they see trump as racist uh and maybe that maybe they were using uh he was using trump as sort of uh uh, a, a motivational tool to get higher turnout in some urban areas
1: yeah. of course you know who was in the room was joe biden <laughs> along with kamala harris along with barack obama Stacey abrams they pulled out the big guns for democrats uh in this race and, and obviously that's a connection that that terry mcauliffe was looking for and may not have helped him david
4: no you know and probably hurt you know probably hurt biden's numbers in our poll were 46 favorable 50 unfavorable but that was a week before the election so yeah. which is a lifetime you know i've seen polling where his approval was in the low 40s and his uh, disapproval was in the mid high 50s mm-hmm. so you know clearly biden's presence wasn't to sway independents because in our poll among independents he was upside down 35 appro- favorable and 59 uh, unfavorable. Yeah.
1: Uh, David Paleologos, tell us about New Jersey. Is this going to end up being a, a layup for said incumbent, which in itself would make history?
4: Yeah, I I, I don't know that it's going to be a layup. Um, I I think Governor Murphy is poised to be reelected. Uh, margin is going to be tough, given that we haven't polled it ourselves. I've looked at the polling and some of the some of the data. Um, It feels like a high single-digit race to me Mm -hmm. based on what I'm seeing, eight, Mm -hmm. nine points, something like that. I will say to your listeners, if they are interested in New Jersey, there are three bellwether counties from our research. If they are hovering their mouse over the map tonight and trying to find out how the state is going to vote in terms of the margin, Atlantic Burlington and Middlesex counties. I know they sound like Massachusetts counties, but they're actually (laughs) New Jersey counties. Atlantic, Burlington and Middlesex counties have been unbelievable at not only predicting the outcome, but the margin in the 2009, 2013 and 2017 gubernatorial statewide races.
1: In our last minute, David, where are you looking? What counties are you looking at tonight in Virginia? So in
4: Virginia, there are three cities. And as you know, Virginia has county territories and separate city territories. So there are three cities that we're looking at. One is Chesapeake, uh, located in the southeastern region. The other two are Manassas and Staunton. Uh, Manassas and Staunton and also uh, Chesapeake are the three cities that have been amazing in the last three gubernatorial races.
1: David Paleologos, director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center, one of the best pollsters in the business. We thank you for helping set things up here a perfect way to kick off the fastest hour in politics on Election Day. Face it, your business is
0: unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, David Paleologo set the table for us on this election day as we train our focus here on Virginia for another moment where polls close in a little less than two hours As I read on the terminal, polls showing a tight race in what otherwise should be a comfortable Democratic stronghold. Indeed. Let's get the panel's take on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeanne Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. Jeanne, how is Terry McAuliffe tied in this race? As a Democrat, do you blame President Biden for the drop in his numbers?
0: There are so many factors, and, and I think certainly um, President Biden's numbers, and we just heard this, um, they do drag on any candidate like Terry McAuliffe. You can also look to some blame for congressional Democrats um, in the House and the Senate who haven't been able to get their act together and push through this infrastructure. Um, you can also, you know, to a certain extent, look at Terry McAuliffe himself. Um, he was governor before. It's awfully hard to to run again. It's, it's, you know, not been done a lot. Um, you know, people don't necessarily like to look backwards. He made some unforced errors. So I think, you know, should he lose, there's going to be a lot yeah. of blame to go around tomorrow. But I think there's still a very good chance that he pulls this out, maybe too close for comfort for most Democrats. But the numbers still are on his side. And this is all going to be about turnout. And just look at the early, early vote. It's about 1.2 million voters. That's a huge number of early voters and that's going to play a factor in what happens tonight
1: well it's interesting to me you did not say genie because glenn yunkin has run a good campaign uh, it does that have anything to do with the way this is going
0: i think so and i think also republicans to their credit nominated somebody who could you know appeal to these suburban moderate voters who went you know who went to uh to biden and could swing back republican you know they had another a few other options one was amanda chase who like has fashioned herself as donald trump that would have probably been disastrous for the party so not only yunkin but the republican party and i think that comes from the fact that they have lost so much in the modern era nothing makes you energized to win like losing and i think that's what we're seeing in virginia amongst the republicans
1: Rick Davis, how you feeling today? I had an opportunity. I'll let everyone I'll bring everyone in on this to see Rick Davis in person for a moment because he was in the D.C. Bureau uh, to join David Weston on balance of power. I could see that glimmer in your eye. Happy Election Day, Rick. These are the days that I'm sure get you out of bed a little extra early. And I'm wondering what you're watching tonight. Everyone says turnout is going to decide this race. But where?
2: Yeah, I think it matters where. Um, as
1: Jeannie said, uh, there's already 1.1 million votes
2: cast, and and as your uh, uh, David uh mentioned, probably 200,000 of them are stacked against uh, Glenn Youngkin before yeah. he woke up this morning, and nice. so he's got to make that up. Uh, where where's he going to make that up? Well, uh, Southside, uh, Southwest Virginia is uh, become a real hotbed base for Republicans. Uh, Democrats used to be able to compete down there with uh, rural white males, but uh, Donald Trump took that all away. So he's going to have a uh, be watching those votes there. Uh, He's going to be watching what he can get out of uh, Henrico and Chesterfield County in Richmond. Again, a much more traditional Republican uh, location that, frankly, because of the suburbs and the loss of suburban voters with Donald Trump, uh, have been voting for Democrats in the last few years. Uh, If he can bring those back to the Republican fold, uh, he could have a big night. Uh, These are these are two critical areas to watch on turnout. Uh, If it's tracking low and people aren't coming out, that could hurt him badly.
1: You know, Genie. no matter what happens, people like us tomorrow are going to try to, to, to write a trend story, right? We're going to try to connect this to national trends and predict the outcome of the midterms. That's a heck of a lot of pressure for Terry McAuliffe. But what are your thoughts on that as, as Virginia the bellwether?
0: You know, it, it, we are going to do that. Um, we love to do that. It's 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 great. It's, you know, we, we really look at these races to see what we can tease out about 2022 and 2024. Um, I also think we have to be awfully careful about that. There are state and local issues at play here that determine how voters feel and what they do when they go inside the polling booth. So, you know, we do enjoy doing that, but there's there's other factors here. But I think what we're going to be looking for, quite frankly, is the, you know, the Trump aspect of this. Glenn Youngkin, it, speaking of running a good campaign, successfully negotiated or navigated, rather, between keeping Trump close enough, but not too close. Mm-hmm. So, you know, did that work out in his favor? And also what we were just talking about, you know, issues of how much Joe Biden's sagging numbers everything from afghanistan to the failure to get this infrastructure passed before the election day dragged down terry mccullough and also i think we have to look at the candidate factors themselves both yunkin and mccullough you know to a certain extent yunkin is a bit like mccullough 2013 so you know (laughs) he's somebody that can appeal to virginians
1: rick if glenn yunkin wins or just comes close to winning Will Republicans around the country say this is the playbook for 22? I think Politico referred to him this morning as Trump Lite.
2: Yeah, he's he's becoming the prototypical post-Trump candidate, uh, and 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 not only his sort of background and the way he campaigned, but also like uh, the way he's been able to keep Trump from actually defining this election as a national election. I mean, I, I don't think this is a Trump election at all. I don't think the narrative is gonna at all be about Trump. I mean, it's not going to be a win for him and he can't be blamed for the loss, but I do think this sets a pattern in the future for Republicans.
1: The names Michelle Wu and Anisa Asabi George may not have been heard in coverage of the mayoral race in boston 10 years ago 20 years ago never mind poised as they are today to make history in this contest we take a look at the polling we take a look at the campaigns and the messaging in one of america's oldest cities now an important mayoral race we're watching with political analyst john keller from cbs wbz in boston john welcome back to bloomberg radio
5: Glad to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me.
1: Happy Election Day. It's been said the outcome of this race, John, will be historic no matter who wins, and that's true. By the looks of things, though, the preliminary was the real election.
5: Yes, and if this election is historic and lives up to that billing, it's only on the surface, Joe. Yes, we're going to have our first woman mayor, our first mayor of color, but uh, otherwise, frankly, the... The most historic or history-making aspect of tonight may be the pitifully low turnout. Mm. Uh, Even by the diminished standards of participation in Boston city elections over the last couple of decades, this looks like a real dud, Joe.
1: So that's because of this being a foregone conclusion? How far ahead is is Michelle Wu as we walk into this election day?
5: Well, you've got three straight reputable pollsters pegging her with a 30-point lead, which is pretty much unheard of. Yeah. Uh, here in Boston. Uh, so that I think gives you an indication. Now, uh, those polls are only as good as the turnout. And uh, there is a sense that a very low turnout. Uh, accentuates the impact of Anissa Asaibi George's constituency. Her base is in the traditionally high voting, white, middle class neighborhoods of Boston. Uh, that's how she made the runoff back in September. Yeah. Uh, she was trailing in the polls and came on strong on the day because her voters turned out and voters supporting other candidates did not. So that could narrow the margin. But look, Michelle Wu uh, has topped the ticket in. Two consecutive citywide city council races nearly topped it in a third one uh, and was the first candidate to turn in her nomination papers uh, back in the spring when the race began. uh, She was able to collect the thousands that she needed overnight, whereas some of the other major contenders had to go out and pay people to gather them. That gives you a sense of her organizational competence and clout. So I I would be stunned, let's put it that way, if if the outcome
1: is different. Some have described Michelle Wu as kind of a local version, a Boston version if I dare say, of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, kind of the green, the local Green New Deal, proposing ideas beyond climate initiatives like free public transit, rent control, police reform. Are these the messages resonating? Because, I mean, I was there for long enough to see Michelle Wu become a major local political celebrity, a Twitter star. Or is this election going to be decided on other issues, John?
5: No, look, I think you've accurately described the Wu brand and uh, she certainly has promoted that during this campaign that message of sweeping change uh certainly resonates with uh, younger voters uh, more liberal voters in the city uh and with uh, at the other end of the scale uh, voters uh, uh, voters of color uh who have not participated as fully as they would like to in the economic boom in Boston over the last generation or so. Um, So uh, that's all well and good. However, uh, a lot of what she proposes, the free public transit and rent control, for instance, are matters that are under the purview of the state legislature. (laughs) And uh, Anissa Saibi-George has tried to probe at that by suggesting that Uh, Basically, Michelle was offering a lot of pie-in-the-sky panaceas that have little or no chance of coming true. The thing about being mayor of Boston is it's a nitty-gritty job. People don't look to the mayor of Boston uh, for uh, ideological rabble-rousing or big, sweeping visions of change. They want to know that the streets are plowed, the trash is picked up, crime is under control. And uh, so the, the campaign... And then governing, if she does, in fact, win tonight, are going to be two different matters for Michelle Wu.
1: So why hasn't Asabi George uh, resonated more? Where where has she struggled in this campaign? She, too, is a woman of color. She, too, is a city counselor. She's a teacher. She had a good story to tell going into this race, even a tacit endorsement. I won't say from former Mayor Marty Walsh, but at least from his mother, John.
5: Right, right. She... Uh, Uh, escorted the mother to vote early in the preliminary, and it was clear who she was voting for. Uh, Well, look, for for starters, Boston is changing and has changed quite a bit. We've been a majority non-white city uh, for a decade now, uh, at least. And uh, the the mix uh, uh, has changed. Uh, Fully, uh, 40% of the residents of Boston rent rather than own. Uh, A significant percentage, I think it's close to a third, have lived here less than 10 years. So there's definitely been dramatic change there. But uh, Saibi George, uh, frankly, got kneecapped right out of the gate Uh, When it turned out that a super PAC, which she ostensibly has no control over, they operate independently of her campaign, that a super PAC had formed supporting her, basically funded by a prominent local businessman who uh, had famously donated to Donald Trump. So Saiby George was cast in some circles as Donald Trump in a dress. Wow. And that's not the branding you want no. in the city of Boston in <laughs> 2021,
1: Joe. You expect a late night here or an early call based on everything we've said?
5: Well, hopefully they've got their act together at City Hall and can count the votes a little earlier. We didn't get results uh, until after midnight last time. And, you know, you get to a point in life, Joe, where it's just (laughs) past your bedtime. I I get it. Everyone who's tried to stay up to watch this World Series can relate to what I'm saying.
1: John Keller, political analyst, the dean of political analysts in Boston with CBS WBZ, and, of course, here on Sound On. We thank you, John. Good luck with the turnout. Thanks, Joe. And to think the guy from Boston brought up the baseball game. Cheers to our listeners on Bloomberg's 106.1 in Boston. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Imagine a 30-point lead, 30 points in a major city's mayoral race. That's the reality for Boston City Councilor Michelle Wu, as you just heard with John Keller in that discussion. But... Her lead is nothing compared to that of Eric Adams in New York, a 40-point lead, as I last read, over Republican Curtis Sliwa. And before we bring the panel back in, I want to check in quickly with Bloomberg's New York bureau chief, Shelley Banjo, who I imagine having one of the busiest days of her year. And kind, Shelley, of you to join us. is Is that lead intact as voters hit the polls today in New York?
3: Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it definitely is. There was this 40 point lead and there was, you know, almost a sense of this uh, manifest destiny in a way where Eric Adams actually went to go cast his own vote and started crying and said, you know, I wasn't supposed to be here. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of emotion when you when you come to this kind of uh, place in your career. uh, But there is a lot of uh, feeling that it's sort of a foregone conclusion. And what happens next tomorrow is that it is no longer Eric Adams' mayor and waiting it is eric adams mayor-elect and what are you planning to do to Uh fix this city
1: oh that uh as shelly mentions listen to eric adams this morning in new york
4: we won already someone asked me how many votes you need to to feel you have a victory Mm -hmm. they just don't get it Mm -hmm. we won we won already i'm not supposed to be standing here
1: what does he mean by that referring to his life story shelly
3: Eric Adams grew up, you know, the way he describes it as to a single mother, a poor childhood in Brooklyn and then Jamaica, Queens. He uh, was abused by police. He went on to join the police force, rose through the ranks and became a state senator, Brooklyn Borough president, and then ran for mayor in a hotly co- contested Democratic primary against a dozen people and ended up winning. And so yeah. what he's trying to say is, you know, how, how have I gotten this far and really taking this moment to... to to enjoy it, to be, to you know, it's the calm before the storm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, we certainly know what would be ahead for him, assuming he does win. What does Curtis Sliwa do? I'm not even sure what he does for a living anymore. All I know is they wouldn't let his cat in to vote with him today.
3: That's right. So obviously there's still an election. The polls close at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. And yep. Eric Adams will have to cross that finish line. Uh, there, His Republican challenger, Curtis Sliwa, runs a anti-crime patrol group, has for decades now in New York City. I don't think Curtis Sliwa goes away. He's almost part of the fabric of the city in yes, many ways. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it is it, it was almost, um, you know, kind of a no contest in a, in a city that's so overwhelmingly Democratic.
1: So the Guardian Angels uh, would prevail in that situation. <laughs> Shelly, I don't know if you're in for a late night, but, but we do appreciate your coverage and glad you're with us. Shelly Banjo is Bloomberg's New York bureau chief, and we reassemble the panel now. Rick and Jeannie are with us here. Uh, and this is your neck of the woods, Jeannie Shanzano. A slam dunk, uh, it looks like, for Eric Adams. I mean, a 40-point lead, my goodness. But then to Shelly's point, then the real stuff follows. Now it's time to run the biggest city in the world.
0: That's right, and, and you know it is to hear Eric Adams at the polls getting very emotional. It is an enormous accomplishment. Um, and again, this is a city that's seven to one Democratic. He's you know forty percent, forty you know percent up, so you know he's almost certain to win. Um, you know, but but he's got a lot of work ahead of him. The the city has a lot of challenges at this point. It has been devastated economically and in other ways by COVID. Mm-hmm. At some of the uh, the debates that were occurred between him and Curtis Lee. Several questions arose about, for instance, voting, allowing people who have green cards and who may not be citizens, but who are here to vote. And that's something he suggested he may bump up to Albany. That raised some red flags among progressives. And as Shelley mentioned, he won this race against a number of progressives. And that's something we're seeing in cities across the country at the mayoral level, these debates between progressives and moderates. And he's going to have to contend with a very robust progressive uh, you know, uh, energized group in New York City, even as with he-
1: crime being the number one issue. Right. How is that how he'll have to prove himself is to make people feel more confident, for instance, to ride the subway, to walk down the street?
0: He will. And at the same time, he's going to have to negotiate issues like police brutality and other, re- you know, obviously, as a former police officer, he's well situated to do this. But progressives are really going to be hovering over him and trying to hold his feet to the fire on some of these issues that he has backed off from.
1: Rick Davis, you're a technician when it comes to uh, to running campaigns, to to winning elections. What do you make of of this particular contest? We just talked about this lopsided race in Boston with John Keller. This one in New York is is one you probably could not have predicted. Uh, and, and does that not create ever more uncertainty around the organization once they're finally governing?
2: Well, you can look at it two different ways, right? I mean, obviously, it, uh, they've been phoning it in for the last few months because the Democratic primary was really the election. And uh, and, and this either creates a level of stability, you know, in transitions. Um, uh, but uh, I, I think that it's probably more good than bad as far as if you're Eric Adams coming in as the mayor, You just assume not have a lot of controversy associated with election or a close election where you might have a recount um i mean even the current mayor bill de blasio didn't let the screen door hit him in the butt at gracie (laughs) mansion he already filed a run for statewide governor and and like he's he's going to turn those keys over so quick so Adams does have an opportunity to chart his course, and he's yeah. got a city behind him clearly by the polling data. Yeah. And, 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 and so as John McCain used to say, oh, we only have one way to go, down. Yeah, but um, that's the and,
1: point, right? There's nothing more right. dangerous than high expectations. And he's got them. Uh, And there
2: is an expectation that New York City is the greatest city on the world. And of course, it's going to come back from from the devastation of covid. And he's got to make that a reality. Now, can he pull together all the constituencies? And we know they're very mirrored, all kinds of different conflicting interests in the city of New York. uh, And he's going to have to test his political skills. If he pulls it off, he will be considered the savior of New York. If he doesn't, he will go down in a long line of mayors who, you know, didn't make the city better, if anything, potentially made it worse.
1: Crime is on the list, Jeannie. So is COVID and this mandate uh, by de Blasio for for municipal employees has just caused a big old mess. It's given Curtis Sliwa a a good chance to show up at a lot of demonstrations over the last couple of weeks. But we know thousands of, of workers are not on the job because of it. Police, firefighters, sanitation workers, they don't want the jab. What do you do with that when you're an incoming mayor?
0: Well, this, this is a huge challenge for Eric Adams, and he is going to have to contend with this. And, you know, what does he do with it? He's he's. Sh- probably going to stick with the mandate but I'm not so I'm not so certain that he has ad- added the clarity to that that he needs to and he's going to face a swift backlash on that and you know let's not forget he does win by this huge number um, certainly tonight but there are enormous challenges he faces and you know he comes in with a mandate but it can quickly as Bill de Blasio can tell you go south and that's what he's going to have to watch for and the mandate to me Municipal workers is high on that list. When you look at the number of firefighters and police officers yep. in New York City who are saying that they would rather leave the job than get the uh, get the 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 uh, the COVID uh, vaccination, those are huge challenges. And what does he promise to do? Keep the city safe? Can't do that if you don't have first responders right. in place.
1: Yeah, that's danger zone potentially, uh, Rick. When you don't have police and fire on your side, you're you're the former police officer who was promising to make the city safer.
2: Yeah, you really wonder how much of this uh, is a reaction also uh, to uh, Bill de Blasio and the administration he had, which was uh, arguably uh, a conflict all the time with first responders. and. And so I I would hope that Eric Adams would take this opportunity to sort of like uh, uh, get a full-throated endorsement behind the people who keep the city safe, sit down with them, try to understand what the issues are related to not getting the COVID vaccine. Uh, It's very hard to compromise on this when our entire country is out to try and get people the jab and create safer uh, environments to work and play in. So uh, I think this is, a, this is a challenge for him. Part of it is just the way that these uh, first responders have been treated for the last uh, 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 two terms. Uh, but a lot of it, I think, can be wiped clean. Uh, and, and Eric Adams has the ability to reach out, uh, considering his ba- past positions with the fire and the police, to try and create a new dialogue that hopefully will result in a better understanding around the public health safety issues and uh, and get them to be more cooperative when it comes to vaccinations.
1: It's amazing we're still having these conversations. Jeannie, you know, I'm always trying to pull you back to Washington. The, the Biden apparatus is going to be in the air overnight, coming back to this country from a trip to Europe, the G20 and COP26. They're going to be looking at results of these races very closely. What kind of trends will they be seeking and how much responsibility will they have for them?
0: You know, whether they bear real responsibility, it is going to be piled on them. Certainly, if Terry McAuliffe loses in Virginia, Democrats, whether they should or not, are going to have to think very, very carefully about what they did wrong. Um, And, you know, so Joe Biden, who we know needs to get some sleep on his way back to Washington, D.C. tonight, is going to wake up tomorrow facing the fact that Joe Manchin came out when he was overseas and made the statements he did about infrastructure that, you know, he potentially you know I think he still could win Virginia but it's going to be tighter than it should be tighter than it should be in New Jersey these are real challenges for him so you know Democrats have to look very carefully and they have to remember as they think about 2022 it's the suburbs and those moderate Democrats who won them the house and quite frankly, Trump, who in Georgia won them the Senate, and they've got to tread very lightly as they maneuver over the next year. But if they get infrastructure and the build back better, and if he wins Virginia, he he could have a very good day tomorrow.
1: Yeah, well, if Dems win New Jersey and Virginia, the two statewide races, Rick, Joe Biden takes credit all day. Absolutely. Uh, He's going to need a victory
2: lap and he's going to have to use that momentum to push his congressional uh, agenda, which I don't think we're going to find out uh, tomorrow on the congressional agenda. So he's got some time to kill.
1: Rick and Jeannie, the best here. They're going to be back with us tomorrow as we distill the results on this election day. And I'll see you on TV too early in the morning. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.